It's the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee, the podcast where we review young adult fiction. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll... See if there's porn of that when I get home. Hello and welcome to the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee podcast. I am your host as ever, sexy, sexy Dory Peacock. And with me today, as always... Oh no! Get in the cellar! It's a Tim Nado! I saw a mouse in my apartment last night. Oh, shoot, really? Really. Oh. I have a strategy. Okay. I'm gonna go to the, the walls, the crevices, the creeks, the, the nooks and the crannies. And I'm just gonna whisper, sis, whisper Sister Sarah into it. Just Sister Sarah, Sister Sarah, Sister Sarah, Sister Sarah. And then maybe I can trick the mouse into thinking that's its name and then i just have to call it by name and it will walk into my trap that is perhaps the longest long con that has ever longed a con what about the bush family you know what you're right (laughs) so tim tato do you have that's two oh tim nato my love timothy maurice you can't do two two puns for the prices of ones. Okay. We'll we'll save Tim Tato for another day. Um, do you have any news for do us? Do I have any news? I have a couple things. You have a couple newses? Yes. All right, hold for news bumper. You newsies, you lose. Baby boy with triads. I really liked it when that bumper hit me just like gently on my butt. Yeah, you love a good gentle butt hitting. Sensual bumper. That's what uh, it's called, right? A butt hitting? That's what it's called? Yeah. Okay. That's a technical term. <laughs> yeah, a butt hitting. A butt hitting. Everyone what? loves a good butt hitting. Okay, like, what if that would be a thing? Like, someone's like, what are you into? And then you're just like... Like, butt hitting. You know, like, making out and, like, you know, just touching and then, like, butt hitting. and then, what? One walks on the beach, butt hitting. <laughs> I should put that in my Tinder profile. <laughs> put that on scruff. I like butt hitting. Yeah. I like us to hit each other's butts. <laughs> Um, I haven't had a good butt hitting in ages. So two things happened today and they both were like two like news heads on a news hydra and they were like biting at each other to get people's attention. Okay, what were they? So so bad news first. Sad news first. Stan Lee died. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I heard about that. Oh, everyone out for Stan Lee. And as a guy who, who created a lot of great stuff, especially for... That that impacted a lot of young people and helped shape the way we saw adulthood. It's it's a sad. It is a sad, and at the same time, it's like, um, we're grateful that we got him as long as we did. Yeah, he lived to be what eighty something. I think so. I think the last cameo he's going to have is in that new Avengers movie. Oh, or at least that's going to be nearly the last one. So it kind of comes at like a nice break. I'm hoping that, that they'll do stuff. some uncanny valley. Stanley CGI from now on. That's what I'm hoping for. At least one. That'd be nice. Like one, yeah. Just like cast different actors as Stanley. No, just like take a just like have a photo of him in the corner of a frame at some point in every movie from Ooh, now on. Yeah, that'd be nice. I still like my idea though. It's like Reba McIntyre shows up dressed as Stanley. And you yeah. just rotate out different actors every time. <laughs> and it makes no sense. But it it's like matter. how the it's like how the kernel changes on Kentucky Fried Chicken commercials. Yeah. They get a new kernel every once in a while now. Yeah. Uh, what was your favorite Stan Lee cameo? Uh, I can't remember them all. Um, 
There's so many. I the, think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you. No, you. You're the well, one. Well, I, I have a very specific favorite, which is why I asked. So I'd have a reason to talk about it. Okay. Uh, my favorite is in the Fantastic Four sequel, the one that had Jessica Alba and my boyfriend, Yoan Griffith and Chris Evans. Oh, yeah. Uh, pre-cap the, Chris. Yeah, pre-cap Chris. Uh, in the sequel, there's a scene where they're at um, Sue and Reed's wedding and it's like all full of celebrities because they're famous. And he shows up and he's like, I'm Stan Lee. And someone's like, yeah, right, buddy. And he's like, no, really, I'm Stan Lee. And, they, and security drags him away. <laughs> one of my favorites has to be the Thor one, the original Thor one, where oh, he's the, in the, the truck. Kenneth Thor? Yeah, because that's the one where he actually plays a character. And it's kind of fun to see him as a character. Oh, nice. I think also the, the Thor Ragnarok one where he's just like one of the gods hanging out. And he's just like, this is, what does he say? I, I haven't seen Ragnarok still. It... I know, I know. I was gonna watch it the other day, but I all didn't have boy- time to sit down. Our, the 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 Uber boyfriend, uh, Taika, who's all of our boyfriends. Oh, Taika Waititi, the parasocial love of my life. But my boyfriend, your boyfriend, boyfriend to us all, <laughs> is waiting. I know, and it's right there on Netflix. That'll be the next thing I watch. We'll have some fun sometime. We'll do that. We will. Um, I think my other favorite Stanley cameo is in Amazing Spider-Man, where. Uh, the the Andrew Garfield one, and it's just like where dusting he, in the foreground. Yeah, well, yeah, he's sitting in the foreground listening to music with his headphones in, and Spider Man and the lizard crash through the wall behind him and crash through the next wall, and he doesn't turn around. Oh, that was a sexy, emaciated Spider Man, but that's okay. The new one's better. Yeah, I I don't know. I I was a big fan of Andrew Garfield. I but Tom Holland is what I didn't know I needed. Yeah, that's that's true. Wasn't he Billy Elliot? Yeah, he was. He was like the original Billy Elliot. Yeah, he was. On Broadway or in the movie? I don't know. I think he was in the... No, he couldn't have been in the movie because he would have been a little kid. I don't know. We'll tell them later. We'll find out later. Um, so what else news happened? Okay, so here's the other Hedra Hydra. Uh, a trailer dropped for a Pokemon movie. Oh, my hell on earth. Did you see this? No. Did- I don't... I don't really have a dog in that fight. You do now. Uh, is it an animated movie or is, are they going to do some weird? No, it's live action. Wait, live action Pokemon bullshit? This is real in the year of our Lord 2019. This is real life? Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> oh, I hate it. And you have to watch it. Why Why even make a live action remake of a, of a Pokemon? It's not a remake. It's so. So for those playing the home game, uh, there is a series. There's a lot of different Pokemon media. Right. There's the TV show. What with the famous Ash Ketchum, what never ages. <laughs> there's the video games, which are really popular, but basically have the same story every time. You're a young Pokemon trainer. You stop by your professor's office. He gives you a grass baby, a fire baby, or a water baby. Then you go off, catch more babies, and become the best baby catcher in the whole land. <laughs> makes it sound a lot worse than it is, but also true. Sorry, I was miles away. Um. But there is also a video game called Detective Pikachu. Detective Pikachu. Where, P- where Pikachu solves mysteries? Yeah, like mystery handheld games are like really popular. Why is that a uh, thing? I, I think something about the format makes it really good with like the DS and like solving puzzles and using the stylus and like catching clues. The games like the Phoenix Wright games and like uh, there's there's other inspector problem solver games that people really like. 
So that is what they're basing this movie on. This is going to be a detective Pikachu movie. And it's live action. Yes. And, and will the Pokemons be like a creepy live action interpretation of themselves? Or will they be like Ralph Bakshid into the action as they animated characters? They are creepy characters? live action interpretations. All right. Pikachu I'm has myself. visible fur. I, 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 goodbye. Goodbye, world. We had a good run. His hollow eyes are straight. I will be in the woods of Vermont. <laughs> Uh, t- taping poems to trees and <laughs> begging strangers for pancakes to soak up my copious, copious maple syrup. That it his ho- and he's voiced by Ryan Reynolds. Oh shit, in a hat! <laughs> what won't that guy do for a buck? I like think- as much as I love him, like what won't he do? Well, his whole deal is he's just—it's really hard to not hear. It's really hard to not hear Deadpool. I think when he, he talks. Well, I, I think he just has become Deadpool and he's trolling us all. I wish it was Danny DeVito like the internet wanted. Oh my gosh. Danny DeVito is Detective Pikachu. That would be hilarious. Like, like the joke is Pikachu talks and there's this one guy who can hear him and he's the only one that can hear Pikachu talk and it's probably never explained, which I hope they never explain it. That would be nice. <laughs> so he'll just like Chewbacca it up like... You're right, Pikachu. We should go get the magic shell. Yeah, that's kind of how it is. Except, except Pikachu can talk and only he can hear him. Anyway. Oh, so like would we hear him too, but the rest of the characters can't except for this one guy? Yeah, we we can hear him, but the rest of the characters can't. Oh, okay. Never I've never had a firm grasp of like Pikachu's whole deal. Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, just what he's about. Um. Well, it's the... It's dumb. That's what it is. Pikachu sucks. You don't like Pikachu? Oh my gosh. I I looked up <laughs> the art for this thing and it is, oh, less nightmarish than anticipated, but still kind of nightmarish. And you have to watch it. It's like if it it's like if Paddington meant you harm. <laughs> Yes, kind of. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. The live action Pikachu is kind of kittenish. He kind of looks like a yellow kitty cat. Well, I think the ugliness is... is just that it is live action. Sorry, what just happened over there? I, I don't know. What was it? I heard a flittering. Oh, it's the furnace. Oh, okay. It's either the furnace or Carissa. Either way, we're safe from this nightmare. <laughs> this yellow, big-eyed nightmare. It's eyes. It's Ryan Reynolds' eyes. Did I ever tell you that one of my friends from college put a photo on Instagram one Halloween of herself dressed as sexy Pikachu? It was awesome. I, I've seen that before. I've seen the gay version of that, too. Of course, there's a gay version of that. I, in fact, I kind of, I'm at a point where I just assume that when you go out to your gay bars and with your gay friends to have a gay old time, you're just all dressed as different Pokemons, <laughs> and maybe you have like little slap fights. To I wish who that wins. sounds awesome. Gay bars are full of much more dark lighting and confusion. Oh, um, I we I'm I'm throwing down the gauntlet. We have to watch this. You know what? I hate to admit it, but I think you're right. I think we do have to watch this. It's going down. And I know I'm going to regret it Mm -hmm. immediately. What if it's like good though? What if it turns out really good? I don't think it will. I think it will be fine. Like what if it's a surprise hit like the Lego movie? 
Um, well, like a hit in the way the Lego movie has no right to be as good as it is. Because that's the thing is the Lego movie has no right to be as good as it is. That's true. Whereas a Pokemon movie, there's actually like expectations. Like no one yeah. is like, oh no, I hope they don't just besmirch like the precious name of Lego. <laughs> that's true. But like Pokemon people, people aren't in it. People are in it for like, remember the 90s? Yeah. Like that's why people it's are in nostalgia. it. It's nostalgia. I have a, a morsel of news if you're finished with your news put it in my mouth mama berta baby bird here comes here comes the airplane ah. <laughs> oh oh no gulp. no don't choke on it oh did you get it you okay yeah i gulped oh oh good okay good thing it was the texture of pudding and didn't hurt your larynx now it's sustenance it is all right this tasty morsel of news listeners is that i saw on the interwebs that they are planning paramount is planning to release a animated young adult geared star trek series Mm -hmm. so you can bet my nerdy ass is going to be all over that fluffy chair is it going to be like cg animated or is it going to be traditional i don't know i'll have to find out i bet you cg cg that sounds like the because i'd be okay with it's cheaper to make cg stuff really than hand-drawn yeah oh that's weird well once you make the models they kind of then you're done then you just have to move them around the old, the old animated Star Trek is so funny to watch because, like, it's the cheapest possible animation. So the characters move and, and their mouths move as little as possible. And it's amazing. <laughs> and there's, like, a lieutenant that was voiced by Majel Barrett, who's, like... Who's Majel Barrett? A cat lady. Majel was Gene Roddenberry's wife. She played nurse... Um, oh, I can't remember her last name. Christine. Why isn't anyone named Majel? Majel in the show? No, in real life. In she, our lives. Yeah, that was that was that was her I real know, name. I know I know zero Majels personally. I don't know because we don't know any big like Roddenberry stands. It's just like that's a name that I wish hadn't gone out of fashion. Majel, yeah, good old Majel Barrett, little Oksana Troy. It's just like such a good name, Majel Barrett. Okay, Majel Barrett. Um, so yeah, that's all of our newses. Now should we get on to the meat and or potatoes? <sighs> Let's have a let's have a chaser first. Okay, what kind of chaser? I want to briefly poke you with a She-Ra question. Okay. I uh, now keeping in mind that I'm barely too young to have watched He-Man and She-Ra. How do you feel about the new Netflix one? Are you going to watch it? Oh, I'm totally going to watch that. Okay. I think it's a cool idea. That's coming out in the next 2 weeks, next week, I think. Oh, really? I didn't know it was that soon. Yeah. That's neat. Uh yeah, I'd be on board for that. Are you, are you are you is it gonna fill a hole for you at all uh no in a way no i do not have a she-ra shaped hole in my heart did you ever cartoons as a child uh yeah but the cartoons i i remember liberty's kids does not count as a cartoon yes it does not liberty's kids absolutely counts not uh, but the, the Saturday morning type cartoons I remember are things like that Disney was putting out at the end of the 90s, like Pepper Ann and Recess. Fillmore, The Weekenders. The Weekenders. Um, Doug was still a thing when Ooh, I was little. Doug. I know you hate Doug. I still like it. He's lame. Well, he's a child. He's learning. Hmm. Anyway. Um, but what is he learning, Dory? Oh, like like I remember Nickelodeon too, like Rugrats and Real Monsters and you stuff. Were, you were never there for like cartoons aggressively targeted to like 
boys, <laughs> well, which is what I was watching. We we only had standard TV channels, so we were limited to oh same whatever was on like ABC. You so you could get Yu Gi Oh. Oh, you could. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not in Castledale. I don't know. Not just like Yu Gi Oh and Pokemon, but there were like other TV shows that I remember, like the Mummy cartoon. Uh, Static Shock one. was awesome. The Jackie Chan Adventures. I remember the weird um, Disney series, like that Ant- that Aladdin series, <laughs> and um, the Hercules High School TV show. Those animated Hercules, and I remember like Little Mermaid. Little. I don't remember Little Mermaid. I oh, I remember the old X Men. I remember the oh yeah, the X Men and Spider Man that were on Fox. There was the X Men cartoon that was from the nineties, and then they made a new one in the two thousands, which I loved. The nineties is the one that I remember. The two thousands one is good because it's the only X Men where the X Men are all teenagers. Oh yeah, so it makes more sense. I they're like going to high school while they go to like the mansion. They like the mansion's like. They have like extracurricular activities there, but they have to like integrate, so, you know, for their psychosocial development. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. I remember the on Fox Kids there was Batman, Spider Man, X Men, and then there was a show. Oh, there was Bobby's World and Oof. a show called Life with Louie that I loved. And like, still, my family and I still have inside jokes that we got from Life with Louie. Is that a cartoon? Yeah, it was a cartoon that Louis Anderson wrote and based on his childhood. It's so good in my memory. But yeah, those are the cartoons I saw. I, I'm interested in the She-Ra cartoon because it's hitting a weird niche. Like this is very clearly made for not just girls, but kind of like it's made to be girly Yeah. by girls. Yeah. Which is funny because even things that were made for girls really reek of that like hyper male capitalist boardroom kind of sheen to them. Yeah. And like, oh, women got to do men things to be valuable. But now cartoons kind of have this more female bent with stuff like Steven Universe being really popular. Yeah. So I'm intrigued. I'm with you on that. I'm kind of tired of the 80s nostalgia, though, as we will discuss when we get into the meat and potatoes. Yeah. All right. So said meat and potatoes this week are, well, really a, a smorgasbord of mm-hmm. Netflix movies. So Netflix this year dumped just a buttload of stuff for teens and stuff with teen characters and about teens. And we picked, what was it, like six or seven of these yeah. to watch and review for you briefly today. So in the next uh, 20 minutes or so, we will review not one, not two, but like six different movies. This is going to be longer than 20 minutes. Well. It's going to be 14 hours. It is not going to be 14 hours. I will murder you. You cannot. I will. I can. I will escape you again. Yeah, you can try. We're going to we're gonna Roadrunner and Bugs Bunny this all the way to the next year. We both know I'm faster than you. Actually, Roadrunner and Bugs Bunny are canonically together. I have a car. Actually, they're not, but I'm just pretending. Okay. <laughs> they're, your, they're your OTP. Yeah, I'm going to look, I'm going to see if there's porn of that when I get home. <laughs> oh, please don't. Okay, so um, what are we going to start with, Tim? Um, What's our first movie on the chopping block? Let's let's do some television first. Some television? Yeah. All right. Um, what television are we starting with? Let's let's start with the one that you watched, the your, your Sacrificial Lamb. 
No, we gotta save that one. No, we gotta we gotta do it first. I think Why? We, gotta, we, we gotta we gotta go straight for it. I want to do the things we got separately first so we can like join like meeting of the minds. Okay, okay, like, you bridge do yours, the gap. You do yours and then I'll do mine. You know, like the bridge at Kazit Doom. We're gonna it, yeah, storm obviously, it. yeah. Okay, um, so let's talk about Thirteen Reasons Why season two. <laughs> Okay, you here didn't we go. See it yet. I did not. Someday, I and will... by yet you mean I have no plans to. I will make you. I was hoping that I would be done with that many-headed horror ask long me, ago. Ask me all your questions. Um, let's see. Does it get better? Yes. Oh, good. See, see, the problem with Thirteen Reasons Why season one is that Hannah was kind of a sociopath. Uh, yeah. And the show has moments where the like the white bread boy what loves her will like see so like the weird framing device is like this trial going on yeah. as opposed to like the tapes there's like the con- there's like the testimonies of different kids at this trial isn't there a thing with um polaroids because polaroids are also old-timey tech yeah but the polaroids aren't a framing device because there's only five polaroids it's like there's five oh. polaroids and then a box of polaroids it's not like 13 polaroids why no okay um so they they wanted to have all of the benefit of the original framing device. So instead they have three, they broke that framing device into three parts. There's the trial, there's the Polaroids. And then Clay sees like an actual specter of Hannah that only he can see that may be a ghost and maybe is conscious and no one knows. Yeah. So we never know if he's like actually hallucinating or if this is a, now a universe with ghosts. Yeah. And stupid. And there's parts where he's mad at the ghost and he's like, what you did was wrong, which is kind of appreciable. Yeah. And they also show that it was just Hannah's side of the story. She left out a lot of details. Um, and well, it- like, but this the thing is, when I watched it, I, I didn't even think like, oh, well, we're only seeing her side of the story. Like, I thought, really, dude? Like, you expected because because even from her story, like you expected that one kid that you were like barely reached out to to like fix things for you when you had were like not even friends with him and had no reason to believe he would do that. Uh, is this about Zach? Yeah. See, you but find then, out, but then they backfilled that. I found out. Yeah, they. You find out later that they dated for a whole summer. Yeah, which still like which makes it make more sense that she's like yeah, she didn't want to mention that, but she wanted to be like it. Bar- it like barely makes sense. Like, I think it's so tacked on. I I'm try I tried to describe why I wanted to watch this show because it dropped and then I'm like I'm watching this. I think Stockholm syndrome. It's kind of that there's a drama to it that's so taut. Like it's just like I wanted to it was I wanted to know what happened next. I want to know what yeah. happened to these characters. Like I wanted to see like it got me it get me riled up this show. I I don't know. It I get don't... me all riled up this show. <laughs> I felt like that the first season, like, oh, I got to see how this ends. And then uh, once it was over, I was like, oh, I'm glad I'm done with all you dipshits. They get off my lawn, you dumb kids. This is the rare show where teenagers kind of get to be really awful. And I think that's why teenagers like it a little bit is it's kind of like it's kind of like they're like. Do teenagers like this? Like they're Quentin Tarantino, right? It's like playing to like their like most violent urges. It's like they're Goodfellas in a way. It's like. It's like they're mobster movies. I guess. You need stuff that like acknowledges teenagers can be really, really messed up people. And it's, and it's the kind of heightened soap opera drama that this is it is. It's a soap opera with a skin of being actually like realistic. Uh, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, so the thing I watched is a weird ass squirrel party called Insatiable. <sighs> and it's going to be a lot easier to describe as a Stefan joke. Okay. <laughs> Insatiable has everything. Dramatic weight loss, gayness and bisexuality, uh, hot black lesbians who are also Christian, beauty pageants, oral sex, murder, demon, demonic possession, what? and statutory rape. This is just Riverdale. No, no, no. This is, okay, this thing has like captivated my heart in a truly weird way. Because when I describe it like that, like a Stefan joke, it sounds like the least Dory thing ever. But I got to be honest, I found it really intriguing because it takes nothing seriously. It's it's a, it, it really is like a pitch dark comedy. Mm -hmm. So I actually started watching it thinking it was just a movie. I didn't know it was a whole series. Yeah. And I was watching it. And the tone of it really reminded me of the Hess movies, Napoleon Dynamite and... Um, Nacho Libre. Nacho Libre. Like, it was that kind Bless of... Bless those Hess. Yeah. It was a surreal, like... It, I don't want to say light and fluffy, because it's not. The tone is... How to make you feel? Truly light, but the subject matter is truly dark. And... Like, what kind of a darkness? Like, 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 paint a picture for my brain. Okay, like, let me just let me just describe the first episode and okay. kind of give you the premise of the show. So, the premise of the show is that this girl Patty mm -hmm. has always been overweight, and she has um, she's an emotional eater. She has problems with using food as a coping mechanism, and she has a crush on a popular boy, and he rejects her. And as she's emotionally eating outside a convenience store, a homeless man insults her weight. And tries to take her candy bar. And she punches him in the face. And he punches her back in the face. This results in her getting her jaw wired shut. And losing 70 pounds. From having to only eat like uh, liquid food. Because her face broke? Because this guy punched her? Yeah. So she gets her jaw wired shut and loses 70 pounds. Um, she is also being charged with assault because she threw the first punch. And the lawyer her mother hires to defend her is a guy named Bob, who is a lawyer for money, but his real love is coaching beauty pageant contestants. Oh, also, this takes place in the South. So he meets her. Uh, he, he comes to take her case right after he's been fired by his biggest client, who also accused him of being a pedophile. And... Patty immediately falls in love with Bob and agrees to be a pageant contestant and have him be her coach. And the show becomes about these two getting ready to do pageants, but also they're both like very broken and strange people. Hmm. And our good friend Christopher Gorham from We Love You Sally Carmichael is in it. Oh, yeah. As a different guy named Bob, who is the rival of the main Bob. What? <laughs> and they live next door to each other and hate each other and insult each other. This is sounding a little bit like 
Edward Scissorhands kind of bubblegum pop suburbia a little bit. There's there's a lot of suburbia and it's there's a lot of like discussion of class, but it is so funny. It is like ridiculously stupidly funny. Is it like the good place except it's not about kind of the morality or it's kind of more roundabout oh, with it? It's more like if I could describe it like anything it's more like the young ones or the IT crowd. Okay. Or like, well, the IT crowd is like more cute and silly. This is more like the young ones. Okay. In that like everything that happens, it if if the tone were serious, mm-hmm. it would be a soap opera. But the show knows that what's happening is ridiculous. I, but I, But yet, they're still like growth for all of the characters Mm -hmm. that makes sense and has a lot of emotional reality to it and it manages to make like interesting poignant moments so they have a they have a charity bikini dog wash (laughs) which like yeah it's a dumb thing well all the girls don't want to show up and help with the dogs so this kid who's been volunteering at the pride center invites a whole bunch of people that we're hanging out there to come and do the bikini dog wash. So these gorgeous drag queens and a bunch of trans women show up to do the bikini wash. And Patty, who is wearing a bikini for the first time since losing the weight, runs into this trans girl and they kind of bond over their dysmorphia. And it's like this poignant moment of like, wow, this is a crazy ass off the wall comedy and this conversation between these two characters is like developing my empathy for people that are different than me. Okay. It accomplishes so much in the squirreliest way. And it is just, it it blew my brains out to watch. That feels like how I felt about Heather Duke in the Heather's TV show that I only saw one episode of. Is Heather Duke the, the main Heather? The genderqueer one, yeah. No, not the main one, the genderqueer one. Oh, okay. Anyway. Um, how do you feel about the, you, you talked about the character growth. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about the criticisms of the show being fat phobic? Um, I don't think they're really warranted because the show is not so much, the, the show isn't so much about like fatness and skinniness. It's more about Patty coming to terms with loving herself so it's not like the show doesn't frame being fat as a bad thing. It's the the real issue is that Patty thought her weight was the root of all her problems. And when she loses the weight and her problems don't go away and she realizes she hasn't dealt with her emotional biz, then she realizes like, oh, that's the real thing. Mm-hmm. Like like there's a moment where she has a some clarity and says, I wasn't a loser when I was fat. Being skinny isn't what makes me a worthwhile person. What makes me a worthwhile person is that I'm a person. And like, so I don't, the criticisms about it being fat phobic, I don't think are warranted. A, because if you look at what, like the the things the show actually says, they're not fat phobic. And the show is so nutty in the crazy shit that happens it's kind of it's kind of irrelevant. Like is it like equal opportunity exploitation? Yeah, kind, kind of. of. But also like 
there are other characters that are overweight that are not criticized for being overweight. Okay. Like one of the best characters who is like the least flawed of any of the characters is this girl named Dee who is an overweight black lesbian and she is the most like emotionally secure person in the whole show. Okay. And she's like, like there's a, someone tries to make fun of her for being fat and she looks at them and she goes, I like how I look. That's why I do pageants. Okay. And like. How, how's Debbie Ryan? Which one's Debbie Ryan? She is the main character named. Oh, Patty. Patty. She's great. She's so funny. She's an ex Disney channel. She's a person. She was in, she started out on the sequel to the sweet life of Zach and Cody where Zach and Cody were instead on a cruise ship because oh, that, yeah, sweet life that happened. Deck. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's great. She does. She's so funny. She does an amazing job. Um, I have problems with voiceover, but the show does a dual voiceover from her perspective and Bob's perspective. Ooh. And they use the voiceover really judiciously. It's really good. And okay. Bob is good. Christopher Gorham's good. Alyssa Milano is in it. Arden Marine, who I love, is in it. So this is a show that you surprisingly liked a lot. Yeah. It is just the weirdest, and I kind of love it for that. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, we spent more time on that than I thought we would. That's okay. Is there anything else you wanted to say about 13 Reasons? Uh, No, I think we kind of left it in the dust. We'll come back to it, inevitably, when season three comes out next year. Oh, hell on earth. I want more. Why is this thing Netflix still alive? Netflix is really good at these cliffhangers. They really want to keep you watching, so they've, they've learned that you have to put something, like a really hard cliffhanger at the end of your season. In yeah. order to bring people back around. It worked for 13 reasons. They did it again with Sabrina too, a little bit. Yeah. They want you to know what's the what's the biz that's going to get resolved. They want you to have questions. Yeah. Classic TV thing to do. Um, all right. What else do we got here? Oh, to all the boys I've loved. Let's get into some movies. To all the boys I've loved. Tim, what do you think? <sighs> Let's talk about this. We are in, we are on consensus on all of these movies, by the way, I should say. Like, I think we... We we pretty much agree. We watched almost all of them together. We agree about all of them. We do not like To All the Boys I've Loved. Oh, see, that's the thing is... Completely. I can't say I outright dislike it. I... I think there's a lot of good things about it. It So this came out in August... It was a big deal. I think like it got a lot of buzz and people were talking a lot about it. It was it was promoted a lot by Netflix. It's based on a young adult novel. Uh, most of these are based on novels, except for Alex Strangelove, which we'll get to later. And mm-hmm. Candy Jar, I think, is an original mm-hmm. baby. Uh, the So people were really into it. It has an Asian-American lead. Which is awesome to see. Uh, it has uh, Noah Centiano, who <laughs> we all have not seen naked. Yep. Wink. Do you know about that, right? No. The the whole thing where there is allegedly a, vo- a video of him jerking off online. Ew. No, I didn't know that. You That's terrible. Up. But it's like hard to see if it's him for sure. So it's like. Okay. Eh. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> uh, So it's like a hot boy with like a girl that normally doesn't get like in these kinds of movies. They The studios that made it, some of them almost wanted to change her to a white girl. Ugh. Ick. And so like in the book, she's Asian, right? Yeah, in the book, she's Asian too. So it would be a disservice. 
the the plot of to all the boys I've loved is it's this girl who's in love with her sister's boyfriend and uh she in order to get over every time she has a crush she writes a love note to the boy she loved and then she puts it in a little hat box and then she's like I've got it out of my life I'm done so she write, she writes one about uh this her sister's boyfriend she puts it in a box her younger sister being a snoopy little snoop takes all the all the letters and sends them yeah to all the boys she's ever known also kind of trying to play matchmaker yeah yeah so she one day after this this guy that her sister's boyfriend gets this note one day he's coming to talk to her so she panics so she goes up to this one hot guy in school and she kisses him oh also the hot guy got one of the letters yes it was from when they were way younger yeah and so later they decide in order to keep this her sister's boyfriend from talking to her and to keep him off her trail, they're going to pretend to date. Yeah. They like draw up a contract and everything. And to make his ex-girlfriend jealous. Yeah. Uh, it. And of course they fall in love because that's how these things work. It's nice teen love. So I, I, I really like that there's an Asian American lead, which we hardly ever see. And mm-hmm. it's super weird because like, I'm sorry, why hasn't John Cho been the male lead in a romantic comedy yet? They tried with that show. What show? Uh, Selfie, starring Karen Gillum. Yeah, that's right. That but you know, Asian you know, people they're racist. They can't stand gingers. But I'm chick. Ah, burn. Um, I like that. I like some of the kind of fanficy elements, like the fake relationship. The plotting is not strong, and. The way it's shot isn't particularly creative. It's got great dialogue, right? It does have very good dialogue. They have good conversations. And there's like a level of like getting down to the the meat of the real who these people are. Mm-hmm. Like her relationship to her mom she never knew and his relationship to his parents. And they kind of meet on that level where it's like, oh, I get a sense of who these are as people. And all these characters make sense to me as people really well. But, like, I didn't like the shooting either. Yeah, it's not the best looking movie. But honestly, it's not a bad movie. And it reminds me that of, like, this thing I love about Netflix, where Netflix is willing to distribute a wide array of content. So a lot of these little low-budget, locally-made movies will get a wider audience from Netflix than they would have 10 or 12 years That's ago. That's true. They're making a sequel to this. I hope they give it more money. Oh, really? Because... Is there a sequel to the book? Yeah, there's three books. Oh, okay. Uh, they padded a little bit of book two into this first movie. Mm. but And they have like a cliffhanger at the end mm-hmm. uh, with one of the boys that didn't show up until then. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it looks like it was shot with two cameras, though. And I want yeah. it to look like it was shot with all of the cameras. Because it's nice and it's cute. Yeah, there's not a lot of coverage in this movie. Oh. But... It also so, is so very reliant say? on the, sorry, it's also very reliant on the soundtrack too. Oh, yeah. If you uh, take uh, away that soundtrack, it's neutered. The soundtrack is pretty good. Like a lot of a lot of nice indie stuff on that soundtrack. Yeah. But so would you still say that overall you don't like it? I don't care for it. Not not entirely. It's not my favorite. Yeah. I like, I like Noah Santiano. I like the leads. I think they have great chemistry. I like the dialogue. I wish that it was... There was more going on. Yeah. I'm going to say it's a good Sunday afternoon type of movie. While you're crocheting. While you crochet. While you do needlepoint in yeah. the corner. 
I mean, if you're not going to watch Pole Dark, but <laughs> which is what I'm going to do every what? Sunday night. What's Pole Dark? Oh, Pole Dark is the most delicious British period drama that I'm addicted to. You have to explain to me Pole Dark sometime. Oh yeah. Show me those poles in the dark. Okay. Yeah. It's got Aiden Turner. Um. Okay. So what is next? Talk about. Oh, let's talk about Sierra Burgess. Is a loser. Oh, I really wanted this to be good. So we talked about Clueless and how much we wish we saw teenage adaptations of classic yeah. literature. And here comes this one. Sierra Burgess based on Cyrano de Bergerac. Get it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is basic Cyrano. And it, it, okay, I'll explain Sierra Burgess. So Sierra Burgess um, is played by Shannon Purser from Stranger Things. She was Barb. And she thinks that because she's like overweight and adorable she's instead of overweight. hot. She's just. She's not. Yeah. She's not that far she's overweight. She's not LA hot. Right? She's just not. Yeah. She's like Midwest cute. So she assumes that the guy she likes won't be into her. And the mean popular girl gets asked out by the guy that Sierra likes. And the mean popular girl gives him Sierra's number as a prank. And they start texting. He thinks that she's the popular girl. She allows that ruse to continue, even going so far as to rope the popular girl in with the promise of tutoring and get the popular girl to be the face of the operation while she is the brains. And they catfish the shit out of this boy. And they also become good friends. Righteous. This movie could be called Righteous Catfish. It really could. So this is the thing. There's. The boy also, we should mention, is Noah Centiano. Yeah. Again. (laughs) Again. He's in like so many things we've watched lately. Centineo. I'll say it right someday. Centineo? Centineo. Centineo. Yeah. So. Centineo. My Noah Centennial. My Noah Centennial. We talk about to all the Noahs I've loved. A hundred years after the flood, it's the Noah Centennial. To all the Noahs I've loved. To all the Noahs I've loved. That was written by a zebra that was on the ark. <laughs> um, that was a very confused zebra. He's got like a little quill pen in his little hoof. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, Zebras and penguins should be friends more often. The zebra and the penguin should be friends. They're both black and white. They have so much in common. Oh, the zebra and the penguin should be friends. Isn't that just the plot of Madagascar? No, the zebra, the the penguins are like the B plot in Madagascar. Oh, I guess that's true. Okay, so Sierra Burgess. I like a couple things that they adapted really well from the original. So in the original, Cyrano is cool because he's a poet which was like a sexy thing to be in the 1600s in France. Yeah. And Sierra is cool because she's a songwriter and a really good one. And that's like the sexy thing to be today, I guess. And there's kind of this cute backstory for her where her dad is a famous author. So everyone expects her to be good at writing. And they also expect her to like define herself. And I thought that stuff was kind of cool. I also like that... um, her friendship with the popular girl becomes almost more of the centerpiece of the movie. It's more interesting. Than her getting the boy. Yeah. Like they go into the popular girl and like, why are you mean? And it's because she comes from a a lower class family where her mom. Her mom puts a ton of pressure on her. Because her mom was broken up with because of her weight. Mm -hmm. uh, And she's, she uh, emotionally manipulates and abuses her daughter by being like, are you sure you want to eat a snack, honey? It's like, it, it's <laughs> yeah 
there's there's a reality there that's really striking. Yeah. And so it's like, I, I like that because that's something that gets missed when people adapt Cyrano is that there's no ponytail with emotions there to what there's like there's like no pony like there's like that's what i'm calling the the popular girl well no what i'm saying is in the in the play cyrano and christian become really good friends Mm -hmm. and that's something that gets left out of a lot of adaptations Mm -hmm. so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to play a game of in the book (laughs) and by book i mean play Mm -hmm. in the play um there's a couple things that are actually better than in most adaptations. For one thing, the play is a tragedy. The play is a story of a man who is too self-conscious to be vulnerable with a woman and then dies without ever getting to experience her love. So that's one thing that I would like to see in adaptation. And this Sierra Bird just kind of tries with that. Like it plays a lot of moments where, where most Cyrano adaptations play certain moments comedically it plays them dramatically and this reads like more of a drama than a comedy uh the other thing is that in Cyrano the catfishing is actually less creepy than it is in this movie because he's catfishing for like his bud in this one she's catfishing for herself yeah yeah in this one it's she stumbles into the deception and then chooses to keep it going for her own reasons. And in the play, Cyrano gets sort of pushed into the middle of this relationship by Roxanne and Christian. Mm -hmm. Like Roxanne is like, Oh, this cute guy I like is in your regiment. Talk to him for me and keep an eye on him. And Christian's like, I don't know how to talk to women. Could you tell me what to say to Roxanne? And he's like, he, he still does it for selfish reasons. But he does it way less willingly and with more pressure from his friends. And so it becomes more understandable than it does in this version. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. What did you think, Tim? I mean, like, so part of the problem is there's good chemistry between Shannon Purser and Noah Sentinel, but she's a bad person. And then they try to be like, oh, she can't be a bad person because she's like this wallflower who's just coming out of her. But the thing is, one, there's the catfishing. Two, spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. The, there's a, the, the plot line for Noah Santiano is like, like, who is this guy? Part of his whole deal is he's got like a deaf younger brother. There's a part where to get out of a conversation with him because she doesn't want to reveal her voice because they've talked on the phone when she was catfishing him. She pretends to be a deaf person. Yep. And they like play it off as like, whoops, I did a bad thing. No, you did a really bad thing. Shitty. Yeah. And then later to, uh, to he, she thinks, uh, that, the popular girl has betrayed her because she's insecure at one point and Noah uh-huh. kisses the popular girl because he thinks that's who he's having a relationship with. Um, so she shares a photo of the popular girl with uh, this guy in, uh, and she uploads it to the Jumbotron, the Jumbotron <laughs> at the football at game, the football game uh, and uh, to make Noah upset. Yeah. Uh, and so she, Yeah. It's like a really bad thing it's to do. Really not good. And like that's the other thing is in the original 
it, it starts out kind of selfish for Cyrano, but then after Christian dies in battle and um, Christian finds out that Cyrano's still been writing letters to Roxanne as him while they've been away at the front, mm-hmm. uh, he, Christian says, listen, I, I feel bad about this because she's actually in love with you. You need to tell her. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll tell her. And then right before he tells her, Christian dies. And then he can't tell her because he doesn't want to ruin Christian's memory. So, like, part of what Cyrano does, he does out of love for his friends. A part of it. But a good chunk of it is that his self-consciousness is in his mind. Mm -hmm. Like, in the play, Cyrano is really popular. He's got a ton of swagger and Mm -hmm. bombast. And he, like is a good fighter and like there's a lot of women that he's actually Brian think Vaughn. he's really hot he's brian vaughn you guys <laughs> who if you don't know was uh this actor at the the shakespeare festival that we both and now the artistic attended director often and he played him in the when they did cyrano yeah in, in and the, his wife played roxanne it was it was so good it was really good it's not my favorite translation but it's such a good performance um hashtag usf so like there's, I I really Ultimate love Ultimate Shakespeare Fighting League. Ultimate Shakespeare Fighting League. Um, one of my favorite things about Cyrano is that his unlovability is all in his head, and I really wanted to see that in this version, but instead they show all the popular kids being mean to Sierra, which validates her unlovability, and I I wish they had gone the other route where she thinks she's a dork. But she's actually well respected and like people like her. This movie also doesn't get poetry. No. It thinks it does, but it no. doesn't, and that's frustrating. Like like Sierra's big put down of the of the people dissing her is that she schools them on the difference between like Frodo Baggins and Quasimodo. And Quasimodo. Where it's like, that's it? There's not more? Yeah. <laughs> Like the like the dunking of the bully was better in seventeen again. Like holy crap! Yeah, there's yeah, it's the equivalent of the scene in the original where someone calls him Big Nose and he comes up with fifteen better insults and then stabs that guy. Yeah, and their version of that is well, I'm I think gonna you dry mean, my hands and and nerd explain to you. I think you mean Lord Quasimodo. <laughs> yeah, no. Long story short, go watch Steve Martin's Roxanne. Yeah, that's where they kind of got the non-tragedy inspiration yeah the other thing that's weird to me is like she she does the thing with the jumbotron the deaf thing is almost worse yeah it's like if he found out he'd be like wait a minute i don't care so much about that you pretended to be deaf what like that yeah yeah not cool not cool you guys (sighs) someday i'm gonna make a modern adaptation that's better what's the next thing we want adapted for teens if we're oh. going to pick a next classical thing to, to hope for. <laughs> a Midsummer Night's Dream. Sure. I could be down for that. Yeah. Just get make it make it sexual. It's a Just wild like, party in the woods. Ooh, we could have one of them be gay. There is actually a, a gay teen rom-com loosely based on Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, what's it called? Uh, uh, we're the World Mine, which huh. involves a love flower, which in modern terms might be a sexual assault flower. Ew. Uh, when you think about it too hard. Let's stop thinking about that. What's our next movie? <laughs> Let's move this train along. Let's I have moved to a safe gay teen comedy about sex. Uh, Alex Strange Love. Ah, uh, yes. You 
just watch this today. Yeah, I, I watched is, it in prep. This is fresh for you. Yeah. What do you think? I I liked this, I think. Uh, so this has been an interesting year for these kinds of movies because this is like the second one we're getting. Uh, Love, Simon was like this big event where like a lot of people felt really validated because like here's this movie all about this and it's kind of like I didn't have this growing up. You know, the best thing we had was like Danny and Mean Girls, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, this is kind of in that vein. I think it does a few things better than uh, Love, Simon. Yeah, what are those things? Well, so Love, Simon is a story about a kid who knows he's gay but is afraid to come out. Mm -hmm. And this is about a kid who doesn't know what his sexuality is and he has to kind of come to terms with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And can we do spoilers ahead again? Yep. Spoilers ahead. Uh, the moments where Alex starts to come to terms with his sexual orientation, he kind of figures out he, it's it's he falls into a pool and has a flashback to a memory he blocked where he was traumatized by a group of boys who harassed him because uh, he got aroused in the showers with them. And that's the kind of real thing that you would suppress and there's this kind of weird realization of like, oh, I've I've pushed this thing down and now it's coming back where it's like that that's relatable. And I appreciate that. That idea of like being gay is such a truth that once you've you've recognized it, it becomes very, very strong and, and good once you've like you understand it and you feel good about it. But like it's it's the kind of thing that can hide out of view, just like out of plain sight. It's like a the shadows when you're having like sleep paralysis almost well and there's like layers to it like he loves he has a girlfriend and he loves her in a way to a certain extent mm -hmm. but he has a hard time being with her sexually and i like i i, I didn't love how explicit the sex was in this movie i did but i think it was the only way to explain yeah how it feels to try to have a sexual experience and not be able to do it. Absolutely. And this movie does something that I really like. I like it when there's like archetypal movies where like movies fulfill like a need for like a movie about that. Yeah. So like Mean Girls is that because Mean Girls is the ultimate like catty teenage bullying, girl bullying movie. Mm -hmm. And everything else will be derivative of that. And I'm not saying this is like the ultimate of that, but there hasn't really been a movie about the high school experience of sex and trying to be straight by having sex as a gay guy. And this is kind of it. Yeah. And I like that it's kind of, it's like, it's, it's fulfilling a very specific movie niche, um, which I appreciate. Yeah. And, and I think it does a good job too of like kind of, kind of, uh, showing how hard it is for his friends to accept his gayness to an extent without totally vilifying them. Like, he has this one gross friend who's like, yeah, you're not gay, whatever, you're not gay. Everybody just thinks they've got a weird sexual thing. And that guy I could care less about. But like, but in the end, that guy is like, yeah, get it, Alex. Yeah, when it, Alex finally kisses boy. Yeah, in the end, that, that kid comes around. But like... Him changing his worldview is hard. And, like, the sweet, sweet girlfriend, like, she feels a lot of, like, betrayal and heartache. And there's this one, like, really tough moment where she says, how did, how did you not know you were gay? She's like, my cousin 
is 12 and just came out. Did you really like she she has to know like was I your beard or did you really think you loved me? And that and then for, he tells and that her, for somebody that dates a, a gay person is like that's also a very real feeling. There's that there, and then he tells her like I was waiting for the right girl. You were the right girl. This kind of understanding of like oh this is the most this was it. This was if it was gonna be, it would have, it would have been this, and it wasn't. So, mm-hmm. um, which is an experience a lot of guys have, and a lot of girls have, where they have sex with their gay boyfriend in high school, and it can be very frustrating. And and I don't know. I like that there's a movie to kind of deal with that. Yeah, that's, that's sympathetic to Alex and his choices. Well, this um, movie, like Alex, is so cute. Alex is so cute. He's like this. Ni- he Alex is like a nice guy. The way that people who think like. He's like he's, an actual he's the nice, nice guy. guy. People think they are like he's a huge dork. Yeah. Um. Like like Alex is talking to this boy at a party, um. And Alex is like, I'm really into like wildlife and stuff. And the boy's like, What's your favorite animal? And Alex is just immediately like, Big nosed monkey or like with big proboscis monkey or whatever. Yeah. And, and then later he has a stuffed animal of a proboscis monkey. And he's like talking to it. And he's trying to like practice his, his, best friend. his dirty talk on it. I like Alex. What can't do sexy stuff without trying to like narrate himself through it and everyone's like stop talking <laughs> oh yeah there's a like he's trying to think of things to say to her and he's like oh i love your boobs oh your boobs are so cool <laughs> and it's so stupid it, 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 it is like a teenage it's like a sexually repressed teenage boys version of dirty talk and it's funny yes well and this like this revealed a lot to me as a straight person about the gay experience like I understood more from watching this movie than I've ever gotten from having like how many gay friends over the years? 30. How have I never asked my gay friends these questions? I mean, I ask you stuff. You do. But mostly weird stuff. Yeah. And I give you answers. He does. And then I regret it. (laughs) This has happened. Uh, Also, I want to give a shout out to Antonio Marziali. Which one's he? He's the love interest. Oh, you know what? My only problem with him is that I didn't find him attractive. I, I, but oh, I, he's so cute. I was watching this and I was like, I do not find him attractive. Tim will find him attractive. Elliot, <laughs> Elliot's totally like my type, like kind of like a punky, just like a, a like a kind of a punky boy, just like a little bit of a punky boy. He's kind of artsy fartsy in like a badass way. Yeah, he's got a shirt. Wait, who's that? I need to know. He's this. super into the B fifty twos, and. He's got like Brillo pad hair and he's just slightly goblin faced, just like you like him. Elliot's wearing like a Keith Herring shirt. This is like clearly a well-read, worldly kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm just like so into it. Also, Elliot uh, Antonio Marziali played Benicio in the YouTube uh, web series, The Gay and Wondrous Life of Caleb Gallo. Oh, yeah. Which is amazing and also has uh, Jason Green as Freckle. With her infamous, their infamous, <laughs> sometimes things that are expensive are, are worse, worse. <laughs> monologue. And it's, it's, it, he's so cute in that show as well. Yeah. Um, and, and, and an actor in real life who's playing a lot of gay characters in a lot of places and doing a lot of really great work. So is he, I like that. Is he too. gay in real life? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Um, was um, he, are we ready to move on? I think so. I would say that this is like a really good, like a lot of the stuff on, LGBT stuff can be really hit or miss because sometimes it's really yeah. pandering mm-hmm. and kind of weak. And I think this is the kind of like very kind of mainstreamy kind of deal that also 
I think ends up being actually kind of like passable, good fairing kind of stuff. Yeah. In terms of teen movies. And I think maybe has a little bit more insight than something like Love, Simon. Love, Simon matters more in like a, we're glad it happened. Yeah. Kind of. it's, more of a, it's kind of an event that you kind of had to be here for. But in terms of like a movie, I feel like this has more to like fulfill your soul, your soul holes, your soul bowls. You know, put this, put this in your soul. Get some almond milk. It's crunchy. It's good. It's got honey oats. And eat some soul flakes with it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What is next? Um, so to the one we actually also liked. Uh, a candy jar. Candy jar. I did not expect to like this. Me neither. This was a surprise because I think we thought like, oh, to all the boys I've loved, can't wait. Sierra Burgess, can't wait. And then those were just like. Ah. And we tacked on candy jar. We're like, yeah, that looks like it could be interesting. And then we both kind of were like, this is. It was really good. It was kind of good. So it's it's kind of a pride and prejudice dynamic. It's these two kids uh that are both on the debate team they are the whole of the debate team yeah (laughs) and they have a hugely antagonistic relationship with each other and they both do not succeed in the individual events so they and to try and get into college they're like let's do team debate and they are totally antagonistic with each other um because their parents have this long-standing vendetta their moms oh yeah their moms they were in high school so it's another one of those weird movies where it's like a rich black kid and a poor white kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's going there. The And his mom is is played by Crazy Eyes from Orange is the New Black. Which I haven't seen Orange is the New Black still. I haven't either, but I like Uzo. Uzo Adubu. I've seen Bob the Drag Queen's impression of Uzo Adubu. Oh, is it good? From Snatch Game in season uh eight of RuPaul's Drug Race. Was it good? Yeah, it was really good. It was one of the rare ones where they have to all do the impressions, and that was the first time someone decided to do two. Oh. He did like a costume change like halfway through, and he switched from uh, Uzo Adubo to, no, it was Carol Channing, and then he switched to Uzo Adubo. What? <laughs> Which is like such a weird tonal whiplash. I love it. That is weird. Um, yeah, so Candy Jar uh, kind of reminds me of those like, it's a kind of movie that we thought wasn't going to get made again for a long time. Those sort of... Not too prestige but heartfelt, middle-budget block movies mm-hmm. where somebody learns an important lesson and also they fall in love. It kind of reminds me of With Honors with Brendan Fraser or um, like, uh, like the movie where the kids bring home a homeless guy to pretend to be their grandpa and then he adopts them. Why does this work? Why does Candy Jar work despite expectations? Because if you look at it on its face, this seems like kind of like a a weird little blip, but it actually, it, it's very consistent all the way through. Mm, I think because it's it's sincere. The characters are relatable. They're flawed in forgivable ways and redeemable in good ways. Like, I don't know, because the thing is, they marketed it as a Pride and Prejudice love story, but the real story is two overachieving prep school kids who have to learn to lighten up and have a little fun. That's one reason why it's so good, I think, is because the conflict is real. Yeah. The conflict is the real life conflict of kids having to match the pressure of getting into college. And so often the conflicts are really contrived, like... I made a contract to date or I'm catfishing 
I'm catfishing a boy. I'm catfishing or, this boy. Abs- whoops, I'm a catfish. Yeah. <laughs> I slipped and fell in the catfish. That's a great. I just wish that was the title. Whoops, I'm a catfish. Uh, <laughs> That'll be its honest trailer title. Yeah. <laughs> the but this one is like a real like the the candy the titular candy jar is from this school counselor played by Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt. Hi, I'm just a vulnerable queer woman, Helen Hunt. I just want love. She is so good. And I said to Tim, how come she's not in stuff still? How come she's not around lately? That's because that's what women really want, is they want less Helen Hunt. Oh. No, I want more Helen Hunt. I want all the Helen Hunts Mm. in my living room on my TV. You should go on a quest for that. I should go to Helen Hunt. Ah. <laughs> uh, That's what my that was a joke my dad made up in the nineties. How do you find a blonde actress? How, Dad? You go to Helen Hunt. <laughs> There's no other Helens. That's a joke that only mi- works in the mid in in like the West because we don't say and we say in. You go to Hell and Hunt. You oh, go to Helen Hunt. Oh, I see. In. Why why are all the blonde actresses in Hell? I guess that's what LA is to Midwestern people. Oh, uh, oh, it is right now because it's on fire. Anyway. Oh, there you go. Um, too soon. <laughs> so yeah, I think you're right. The conflict is very relatable. The characters are like I found that girl so obnoxious at first, and then she grew on me. The the funny thing at the ending where they both like one of them really wants to get into Yale and the other one really wants to get into Harvard. And they both, but they apply, both of them apply to both schools and they get into each other's school where yeah. it's like, Yale was my safety school. Oh, Harvard was my safety school. And I'm like, bless your guys' hearts. You're both so privileged. I can't. Right. I'm, I'm over here in Utah. Like I went to SUU. Yeah. Tim and I went to a, went to a college in Cedar City, Utah. Best value college. The best value I, I don't know. Keola. It's not like a great value college. It's like a Kroger college. Kind it, of. Yeah, it's the it's a Costco college. It's, it's like a Costco college, yeah. Uh, but hey, Kiala Stettel and went in, to our college. And you know what? People love a 16-pack of the three kinds of ice. It's true. Ice sparkling flavored water. Yes. I have that a lot. It's good. Yeah. So. Um. So yeah, good little movie. Great to see Helen Hunt. Tom Bergeron also plays their principal. Oh yeah, he's really good in it too. I love Tom Bergeron. Uh, as their debate teacher also? No, their debate teacher's just like The debate teacher's dude. always trying to quote. Yeah. That's like actually funny. Like The debate the teacher is in a different movie the, on his the, own. The debate teacher, I think this movie realizes kind of how bad some of these other teen movies are when they're invoked. So it like, the, the debate teacher really wants it to be like stand and deliver or like a dead post study. And they're like, stop uh-huh. it. We need to practice debate. Yeah. He's always quoting like Whiplash and... Yeah, uh, Dead Poets and Blackboard Jungle. Which we had, I had that teacher that thought that Dead Poets Society was like God's gift to teaching. And it's like, kind of. Yeah. Really. My uh, dad was more college. of a fan of Mr. Holland's opus. Ooh, sexy underage romance. Yeah, it's not that sexy. He doesn't run off with her in the end. But it's very underaged. Yeah. Uh, the the other thing that's interesting is I actually, so this movie is about debate. Yeah. The, and And like the big twist at the end is like, they're going up against this so we have to explain high school debate spewing uh, okay l- let me explain so okay so high school debate this is actually one of the things that bothered me about this movie is that um there is a type of high school debate called policy debate where you have a team of two and you try to make as many points as you can in a number of seconds 
And so people wind up talking really fast. My dad calls it spewing. And judges actually really hate it. And unless you did policy debate in high school, you probably hate judging policy debate. So what these, what our two leads do is mainstream policy debate, where they talk as fast as possible, take notes as fast as possible, and don't give a shit if the judges understand what they say. The team they're going up against, um, rather than using like case evidence and researching really in depth, they bring in their personal experience and give impassioned speeches about how these issues feel to them, which can have value in something like a, a public forum debate or a, or a Lincoln-Douglas debate, but really actually wouldn't get you that far in a tournament. <laughs> no. And and they're like passing it off this like big mind-blowing thing that like, oh, the rhetorical people what i actually talked to my coworker who is younger mm-hmm. and actually just fresh out of high school ish and and told me cuz he did debate and i was like so like is this like would it be as big a deal as like actually that's like it's becoming more of a thing where people are apparently doing less of the spewing and that is like a thing that people do so it's not unheard of apparently well yeah and it shouldn't be because if you were going to just read somebody's case then you'd just read it mm-hmm. like if the case was all that mattered, but it's the way people present that's also important. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so what's cool, though, about that that moment, their, their sort of paramount moment in this movie is they go up against this team that likes to speak from the heart. And what they realize is they've had, the two of them, our leads, have had every advantage in this world and have spent so much time trying to hang on to their advantages And they basically throw the match because they realize this other team is less privileged than they are. But here's the reason why it's so brilliant is what they're debating about is the importance of getting into college as a high school student. Oh, yeah. And and to them, like there's this weird existential moment where the only reason that they're like. And that's why the, the screenplay works so well. It's plotted very well. It's because mm-hmm. they, they come this moment together where they realize we're missing out on a relationship with each other. We're missing out on all these things we could be having because we are busting our asses. We have no friends. To do something that we don't believe in. And I have to get up here and tell this audience full of people that I do believe in it and debate it. And they decide that they don't believe in it. And that's really poignant because it's a real issue. And it works really organically from a screenplay selection. Yeah. And... By this point in the story, they pretty much have already, like, their fate as far as college has been determined, and they know that they're going to be fine, but these other two girls, who are the better public speakers, have less of a chance of getting an education than they do, and so I feel like that's also an important part of why they throw the match. Yeah. But yeah, it's a cool it's a cool little movie. Highly recommend it. Also, I want to throw out a real fast that Sammy Gale, who plays the main girl, uh, she was a short-haired bitch from Vampire Academy. <gasps> she was she was mina yeah. oh welcome back lady i hope all those girls have great careers because they were fantastic okay i think we are on our last one tim are you oh ready boy. for the final oh one boy. say it out loud <laughs> give us that title it's kissing booth it's kissing booth so candy jar is the best one yes best written best plotted best acted uh this is the best worst one. <laughs> this yeah. is the movie that like shouldn't be as good as it is, 
but isn't as good as other movies. Like, it knows it's not Mr. Holland's opus. Dory. Yeah? What is Wattpad? Wattpad, my dearest Timothy, as thou knowest, is a website for preteens and teens to publish and adults, their, I guess. And I guess adults to publish their PG-13 rated fan fiction. Yeah. And it can sometimes be fan fiction, but sometimes it's original fiction, right? Yeah. If you want a really good time, listener, uh, search Jenny Nicholson. Uh, on YouTube. Yeah. And look up, what was the one she read that was so good? Josh Hutcherson. <laughs> Stuck in, in an island. island. Yes. With Josh Hutcherson. Yes. Uh, Jenny Nicholson. Or my favorite, One Direction in the, the Universe in of the, the Purge. purge. <laughs> One Direction Purge fan fiction is apparently a really big deal. And and Jenny has kind of talked about Wattpad. Like it started as like this thing where like it was supposed to be like the legit fan fiction option. Yeah. Where it would possibly lead to book deals. And this is the end result of that actually happening because somebody self-published Kissing Booth as fan fiction on Wattpad before it got published as an actual book. So this isn't fan fiction. It's not based on anything. No. It's as just far as a we can tell. short story. Um, but it has the feel of fan it fiction. It feels like fan fiction. And that's why it's because so it's, good. <laughs> it, it's so much wish, wish fulfillment. But unlike most fan fiction, like, the story structure actually works as a screenplay. Like it's not it's not a masterpiece. There's no big surprises or I think like it is a masterpiece intricacies. In some ways. But but the story works. It's the so so even other movies like so Sierra Burgess is bad because Sierra Burgess is a bad person and the movie doesn't know it. And to all the yeah, boys yeah. I've to all the boys I've loved is bad because to all the boys I've loved it, well, well, not bad, but not great. It, it because, didn't get the budget it needed. Yeah, because to be to all good. the boys I've loved is a little bit like Kurt, where it needed a little bit more like focus and direction yeah. to kind of sell the big moments. Yeah, this is bad because it's it's weird. Like it's it's disjointed and like clippity cloppity. Like it feels it feels like you're watching a TV movie. It does, which is funny because Netflix is in this weird middle space, right? Yeah, yeah where like is. sometimes it's TV ish, sometimes it's movie ish. Yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, like, it's still not as bad as it should be for a Wattpad story. Mm-hmm. Like, there are things I don't like about it. One of those things being voiceover. Why the F does everything have to have a mother effing voiceover? I think because it works. It it works in Insatiable because the voiceover is used for jokes. But, like, almost every one of these properties has a voiceover. Candy Jar doesn't. Candy Jar has two moments of voiceover, but they're the only moments in the movie and and they mirror each other and they make sense. And I'm fine with it. And I'm fine with it in Insatiable because, again, it's just for jokes. But like... 13 Reasons Why has to have the voiceover because it's the framing device. Well, Maybe the that's voice, why. The voiceover Maybe because in, 13 Reasons Why has it and they're like, you know what teens love? Voiceover. <laughs> Everything, <laughs> everything has it. <laughs> and I'm, I want to make a video about how much I hate voiceover because every freaking teen comedy we've watched this year has a freaking hey, voiceover. Hey, you know what didn't have voiceover? Blade Runner 2049. I said teen. I know. I'm just making a joke because Blade Even Runner- Even Alex Strangelove had a voiceover. Yeah, at the beginning. Nah. It left it pretty quick. At least in 13 Reasons Why the voiceover is diegetic. It's it's both. 
It's both, Dory. I hate voiceover. Anyway. <laughs> it's... Well, but, like, it's... I, I hate it so much, but it's also the only way to adapt some of the stuff people put in these books. So this one is so much more wish fulfillment. The plot of this one is it's a girl and she is best friends with this guy and it's not the guy she's best friends with. It's his older brother that's the love interest. Yeah. And I think there was a point where like you and I were maybe thinking like are they going to switch a Rue and it's going to pivot to like the clearly hot best friend instead of like the insanely hot old, older brother. But it never does and it actually is the older brother the whole time. Yeah, and the and and the obstacle of it is she and the older brother want to get together, but it's going to complement her. It's going to complicate her friendship with the younger brother. So and I don't know. That's obnoxious to me because that's like really low stakes. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like if you really did date your best friend's brother, like your friend would be surly about it, but get over it. Like but this I don't friend know. is like a stick up his butt because he's like inferiority complex that he hasn't addressed. Yeah. So it's very much like there's this weird thing where the main character is like frustrated and it's very like it's that fan fiction thing where you have all of the benefits of an action without any of the risk or responsibility and you kind of find yourself in conflicts. All the conflict is external. All the obstacles are external. For example, the first conflict is that she goes to school the first day wearing too short of a skirt because it's a skirt from when she was in ninth grade and her, and her body filled out over the summer. And you know, it's like, Oh, I can't, it's the only thing I have to wear. Oh no. Mm -hmm. So she's finding herself like this object of like new boys fighting over her and stuff because like of her body. And she's like, I didn't mean to. Oh no. I'm just a sexy baby. <laughs> I I don't know. Yeah. And then like the boy is like, it's like the boy you like is like possessive over you. And he's like, you shouldn't, you know, he's like trying to like stop other boys from like. From ogling her from or ogling asking her, her out. Her. He, he beats up a guy who asked her out. It's like, no boys. It's like Quinn from Dark. It's like, oh boys, don't fight over me. Yeah. Oh, stop. And it's, that's the subtext of this. It's kind of funny for that. Yeah, like, and and I gotta be honest, like that main actress, I don't know her name, but she's also in uh, some horror movies. She's in Wish Upon, and she's in Slender Joey Man. King. Joey King is so charismatic and adorable as an actress, and I hope she gets better vehicles because part of the reason this movie is so enjoyable with all its faults is that she's adorable and fun to watch and a very good actor. She is. I mean, all the actors have good chemistry in this. They're all hot and it's frustrating because like the one boy is like, I don't think I'm hot. And I'm like, I would go for best friends. Not like. Yeah, but you like him goblin faced and nerdy. I like I do like him nerdy. That's why Alex Strangelove is a cutie because he's a huge (laughs) dork. Uh, He is. I hope those babies are happy together. Um. Oh, yeah. So this kissing booth thing. Oh, yeah. Even the the reason it's called kissing booth is because she has to volunteer at a kissing booth and. It's a blindfold kissing booth, and with her blindfold on, she winds up making out with the hot guy that she's into, and that leads them to a secret romance. And there's like also a weird element to this movie where all the music is from the 80s, and the best friend's mom is played by Molly Ringwald. Yeah, it invokes 80s movies. Alex Strangelove did a better job of the same thing, by the way. Well, they all do. Like, all... 
all the teen movies lately invoke the 80s. And I'm like, what is that? You guys were not, like, teens weren't there for this. Because the 80s look cool. The reinvention of the 80s looks cool. Well, and Neon, I guess, like, synthwave. Well, and there's some argument, I guess, to be made that, like, the 80s is when teen movies really became popular and mainstream and stuff. But, like, do kids like this music? It's the 30-year role also. It's that people who were making these movies are... It's that the people who are writing these books and are making these movies were teenagers in the 80s. Yeah, I guess. That's it. There's also, like, I don't know. I guess it also kind of makes sense that, like, the teens now, like, the older teens of today, their parents were kids in the 80s. So it kind of makes sense that, like, your first music you like is your parents' music. Like, that's why all the music me and Brant liked was from the 70s, because that's when our parents were teenagers. Like, I guess that makes sense. But it's also like... My music thing skipped a generation because my parents were older. Oh, that's true. What's that? A specter from the attic? Um, <laughs> love you, Maria Bamford. Sorry, um, I stole your joke. Uh, but, but yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense. But also, it draws this parallel between this movie and John Hughes movies. And this movie is nowhere near as well thought through as a John Hughes movie. <laughs> but it likes to think it is. They all like to it's think living they its, are. This movie is living its full fantasy. It it's really like, is. It's like... It does not care. It's living its full fantasy of, of everything. It and is I love not it a good movie, but it's hard to not like because it is just unabashedly wish fulfillment -y. It's like suddenly I'm with the hot guy. Oh, no, we're hiding from my best friend. Oh, it's, it, it's so. And the best friend is super wealthy and has a giant ass house. Oh, yeah. Again, like this makes like my house complaint look so quaint. My house mm. complaint from uh, uh, Winkland time. Uh, I love that this movie has a, it has like a weird gay moment. Oh yeah. Your moment of representation. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> That's it. It's all you get. There's a, there's like a guy and he like, so, and he like moseys on over to like the like. The kissing booth. He's like, yeah, the kissing booth line. He like moseys over from like the girl's line to the boy's line. Ooh. And then, like, another guy, like, sees him and, like, gives him, like, a wink or something. And mm -hmm. he's like, I just got hit on. Wordless. Wordless 30 seconds that you have to watch. And then they pay it off later at the school dance, what, where everything always happens in these movies. Yeah. Where they, like, are dancing back to back and then they turn around and then it's like, hey, you. And then, like, non-verbally they, like. Dance Laugh together. and start dancing with each other. And it's this weird, like, moment of, like, they couldn't pay the gay actors nope uh as we were watching this and and the wink moment happened i turned to tim and said that was your representation did you enjoy it and i was like i guess and i know a part of that's netflix and its algorithms like you have to have these things in these movies now yeah like to all the boys i loved had a gay character yeah and then sierra burgess has a gay character that the movie refuses to admit is gay yeah I think. well his sexuality just isn't important to us yeah says the movie it's a, uh, yeah. So that happened and it's funny, I guess. I want to know if there's, was there something in the book we, I don't know. There's got to be. If anyone's read Kissing Booth, please, please tweet at us. Talk to me. I want to Please know. email us. JDRCpodcast at gmail.com. So what did we learn today, Dory? Well, I learned a few things. I freaking hate voiceover. I'm tired as shit of the 80s. And I really miss Helen Hunt. Yeah. How about you? What did you learn? I learned that uh, I like it when things don't look like TV. <laughs> uh, 
um, unless they look so much like their TV that they were basically on Nickelodeon. That it loops back around to being awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I also want, I'm glad that we had like quaint little movie and like, I'm, I'm glad that these movies are like filling niches. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for things to be a little bit more experimental and weird. Because yeah. some of my favorite teen stuff is stuff that like is kind of Sundancey. It's like indie stuff. And I feel like Netflix has a chance to kind of meet in the middle where it gets to kind of like the wish fulfillment. Because that's what teen movies are. At the end of the day, we're here. Quite often, yeah. Because it feels like an id <laughs> for us. Pretty much. There's like boys and drama and and heightened emotions. And I like that Netflix is kind of catering to that. But I wish they could go a little more. They wouldn't be safe. Because what hurts most is when these things are like... I think in that case, you really need to watch Insatiable because it takes every risk and goes all the way over the top every time. It has no restraint. Maybe I should. I also absolutely need, should. I also need to finish that Heather's TV show. Yeah, I guess. What going to happen? Anyway. In- Insatiable is the Heathers we deserved. Is it? Yes. Okay. All right. That's it for us, everybody. You can find us on Twitter at JDRC Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, also at JDRC Podcast. Email us at JDRC Podcast at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at Dory E. Peacock. Find Tim on Twitter at CyberPrior. Uh, what other handles do we need? Oh, we're on Facebook as the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee. And these are our sign-offs. The zebra and the penguin should be friends. Thanks, everybody, and remember, we won't judge you, but we will bring the jello salad to your trial.